Society says, don't talk about sex, just do it. Bengambiki Habiarimana. I'm just a good old boy, trying to be a good old man. Out here learning on the fly, trying to do the best I can. Hello and welcome to the Faithful Fatherhood Podcast. I am Brett Etheridge, co-host of the podcast with Perry Hughes. Perry, welcome as always. What's up? Good morning, everybody. Good to be here. Good to have you here, where in this episode, we are going to be talking about sex. Yes, we're talking about sex and more specifically, how to talk to your kids about sex, because this is a crucial thing that we as fathers need to be able to do. And it's one of those areas where there's really no instruction manual, right? I mean, I think there's a lot of times we're just trying to figure things out as fathers And I think this is a particular area, right, when it's time to have the talk with our kids, that we can feel alone. And it could be a little bit weird to, like, ask your buddy, hey, you know, like, have you had the talk? What did you say? How did you have that conversation, right? So it's sort of this... It's sort of this weird topic that how do we how do we actually find out how to do it well and what to do and and so we're just going to sort of tackle that this morning. Perry and I are going to share some stories and talk about our experiences having having that conversation with our kids and and really hopefully impress upon you some things that we think are crucially important in terms of do's and don'ts for having that conversation with our kids. And I think it is timely to be talking about this right on the heels of the episode we just did about the cowboy, the cowboy stage of the masculine journey, because as our kids, specifically our boys, transition into this all-important time period where they're trying to ask the question, do I have what it takes? And they're transitioning from boyhood to manhood. This is that stage where they're also going to be starting to explore their sexuality. And it's our job as fathers to help father them through that period. So that's what we're going to be doing. I'll give you a little bit more context and we'll just dive in and uh, sort of talk about it here in a moment. But as always, let me sort of take a big step back and start as we always do with small wins from the week, fathering wins. So Perry, I'll throw it to you. Uh, How has your week been and did you have any wins this week in your fatherhood? Sure thing, Brett. So my week has been chaos, as I've mentioned a couple times on the most recent episodes. We are moving our entire business of 20 years uh, location. We sold our building this past summer and we're moving and we are quickly approaching the end of the month. As of this recording, it is Wednesday, September 28th, and we need to be out before October the 1st. So we are just grinding, getting things done, working from early in the morning to late in the evenings. So it's been a busy week. Nonetheless, my kids have been with me. That's one of the joys and benefits of being a small business owner, as well as homeschooling our kids, that we are teaching them the school of hard knocks a little bit this week and hard work, moving, getting a new facility prepped and uh, presentable to operate a business out of. Um, And yes, we were able to enjoy some quality time together this week as a family, as well as for me to have some wins. One win, I want to share two. I want to break the mold and share two. Go for it. And just brag, brag on my son, Liam. Both of them revolve around him. But one win is early on when we first looked at this location, the landscaping, you could tell, had, used to be well done. The plants are there. Everything's in place. But the mulch hasn't been done in a while. And you know what that's like if you have a, a mulch bed that hasn't been freshened up or it just looks old and cruddy. So on his own accord – 
as we're doing getting ready to move into the building and all this other stuff, Liam goes, Hey, to me and Nancy, hey, mom and dad, this front really needs some mulch. And if y'all buy the mulch and get it here on the trailer, I'll mulch the whole front by myself. I'll make it look nice. When it gets closer to time, he's like, I don't want to put the mulch in right now because we're, you know, four weeks away and I don't want it to get, you know, cruddy. He's like, but when we get close, like, you know, the week before, get me some mulch and I'll mulch this thing. I'll make it look great. What initiative? Right. He's 12 years old. And not only uh, did he notice that it didn't look that presentable, but he volunteered himself to be the one to fix that problem. So that's pretty cool. Liam, if you're listening to this, bravo. Uh, I'm always proud of you, son, but that was a super cool uh, moment in life. And then uh, secondly, the the real fathering quick win uh, of the week is it was just Liam and I riding home one night. And I do not for the life of me remember how the topic popped into the conversation, but it was very natural to talk about sex. And so I think it is the Lord being a wild man that we scheduled the sex talk as the topic of the podcast for this week. And within the last week, Liam and I have had one of many sex talks. And that's one thing that we're going to talk about later on as we get through the podcast. I believe it's important as fathers to have a sex talk is not a one-time event. It's an ongoing process of us as men with wisdom and experience and a depth of understanding to continually pour into our kids over time. We can't just have one singular sex talk and be like, cool, got it over with. Woo. You know, I can quit sweating and, and be done with that. You know, no, we want to continually pour truth and wisdom and understanding into our kids. And we want to create a uh, a comfort level. It might not be there at first, but we want to create a comfort level where they feel okay with asking us questions, you know? So anyway, Liam and I had a great opportunity, just he and I in the van ride home, we were talking about sex. And at this particular time, I was talking about the difference between what the world would tell us is the objective for sex, which is as many people as you can, as often as you can, wherever you can, no strings attached, you know, whatever, is certainly one of the many messages that that the world would get out about sex. The more, the better. Um, the more partners, the better. Um, and I just continually to tell him God's plan for sex is different than the world's plan. And we had a great conversation in the van. So that was, that was awesome. And uh, I didn't know when he and I had that conversation that we were going to talk about this today on the podcast. So that's kind of wild. It is it is wild. It's very cool. What interesting timing and it's so so interesting how often that happens that God just arranges things in time and space. I mean, he is beyond time. Time I mean, time really doesn't even exist when you think about the infinite for him. And yet he's aware of our need for timing and puts things in our path exactly when we need it. So that's really cool. I want to hear more about that conversation. We'll definitely transition to that. My small win for the week, interestingly, was that my middle son, Benjamin, asked for a haircut. How about that? (laughs) So let me explain why that's actually a win. Uh, It's because when he was younger, I, for whatever reason, I... 
I don't know, I was sort of a stickler about how his hair looked and I was making sure that all my kids had fairly regular haircuts and, and fairly clean cut haircuts, right? I liked them to have a short haircut and, and they started to push back a little bit and dad, I want my hair this way. No, you can't, you know, you can't do it this way. You can't do it that way. Although I will say during the pandemic when everything was shut down and uh, the, the hair cutters were closed, I did, I did give my sons a hair, uh, uh, a mohawk. So, you know, he, he's, he's sported a mohawk for a while. Like I'm not, they don't have that military haircuts, but they, they go to school and I want them to look respectable. And, and I've noticed, as I'm sure you fathers have, that sometimes the more you push on them, the more they want to push back, right? And so recently I have finally completely relented. I decided I'm going to go the other direction. I'm just going to let them do whatever they want. Even if I think their hair looks ridiculous, I'm not going to fight with them. <laughs> I'm going to let them tell the person cutting their hair Whatever they want to tell the person, just like, yeah. this is what I want, but you got to live with it, right? Yeah. And so they've decided, and Ben specifically has decided, he wants really long hair on top, these long bangs. He wants them hanging down yeah. in his eyes and all this stuff. I think it looks ridiculous. I think it's impractical, but I have not said that. How's that been? Was that, is it hard to, did you find yourself starting to say Yeah, something? well, every time, every time he starts to complain about it, I feel like jumping on it. Like, see, I told you, or like... If you complain about your – like they just had picture day and he's like, my hair looks stupid. I was like, well, I mean you kind of did this to yourself, you know. And But I didn't really say that. But I'm like every time I threaten, I'm like, if you complain about your hair one more time, you're getting a buzz cut next time. So so I pushed back a little bit but I decided, hey, you know what? I'm I'm not going to – I'm not going to be the stickler here. I'm not going to micromanage and tell you what you have to do with your hair. I'm going to let you sort of figure this out on your own. And he figured it out on his own. He came to me a couple of days ago. He's like, dad – this hair is too long. It's in my eyes. I overthrew the receiver at recess and it was because the, the hair was in my eyes. I need to get a cut. I was like, okay, you came to that decision on your own. That's like, that's what I was going for. And it totally worked. <laughs> that's awesome, brother. So now we got to get him a haircut anyway. Sure. All right. Uh, so with all of that said, let's dive into today's topic sex and how to talk about it with our kids. And just a quick disclaimer, this may be a PG-13 episode. So I know some of you guys listen with your kids in the car, which is awesome. Uh, I don't know exactly what we're going to say or how, I don't think we're going to get super graphic or anything like that, but you know, we're just going to have a real discussion. And I think that's one of the most important takeaways is we want to be real with our kids. We want, we don't want to be weird about the words that we say, and we just want to speak truth. And so we're going to try to do that here on this episode. Just so want to make sure that, uh, that you're aware of that as you are listening. Thoughts on that, Perry? Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. We want to talk candidly and openly about it. And I think that that's one of our objectives as we do the podcast today, but it's also an objective as we're fathering, you know, our sons. And honestly, Brett, it's tough, man. You know, I feel bad for us dads today because when you think about generations in the past, I really think they had it a lot easier. I mean, dads today, we have to explain the birds and the bees, you know, now we got to explain the bees and the bees. You got to explain the birds and the birds. You got to explain the birds that used to be bees, right? You got to explain the bees that used to be birds. You got to be explain the birds that look like bees plus bees that look like birds, but they still have a stinger. I mean, come on. There's just so much to explain. It's almost impossible. It is. It is. I see where you're going with that. It is almost impossible. And, and that's actually an interesting question. Should we get into all of that with them? 
when we're starting to have the conversation. So I wasn't even necessarily going to go into into that avenue of it, uh, but but we can. But my first question, I guess, for you and for the listener is, when is it appropriate to start having this conversation? What age range? So I, I have a I have a friend uh, here in town who actually sent me a text, and this is part of what precipitated the idea of maybe talking about it this week because it's been on my mind. He sent me a text. He said, "I'm about to have you know the sex talk with with James is his son's name, and he's ten years old. Yeah. He's in my son Benjamin's class, who is ten, and I'm not thinking I'm going to have the conversation with Ben yet." Um, but I'm like, oh man, if James, if James is going to know all this stuff, you know, they talk about it in school, like he's going to break it to Ben. And now do I need to step in and kind of head it off at the pass and talk to Ben yet? I'm not ready to have the conversation with Ben. I've already had the conversation with Jackson. When's the appropriate time? Right. Well, for us, and my oldest is 14 and a half and my youngest is nine. Okay. So for Nancy and I, when the oldest two were coming up, you know, we kind of think of them in, in pairs, like JP and Liam are kind of close in age together. And, and then Seth and Ruby, when they were coming up, if I, in hindsight, if I could go back and do it over again, I would have had the talk with JP and Liam at a much younger age. And so now after having had the talk with JP at, you know, a 10 plus old age, maybe 11 and the talk with Liam at you know, a 10 plus 11, you know, probably a 10 age with Liam, we realized uh, through talking to other parents, talking to, you know, different folks that we feel it's better, the younger, the better. And so as soon as kids are old enough, in our opinion, to start to understand that boys have a penis and girls have a vagina, as soon as, you know, we start to talk about body parts, Maybe not at the same time, the exact same conversation. Oh, guess what? Look, a penis and a vagina go together, right? But at some point in a very young age, and Seth and Ruby have been the recipients of the talk happening more openly, more naturally, not this big sit down moment. Hey, come sit down. I need to tell you something important. But just as it comes up in natural everyday life, I can remember sometimes we'd be watching we don't watch a whole lot of TV as a family, but the things that we do let our kids watch are things like documentaries, Life Below Zero, National Geographic, you know, animal channels and stuff. And it's like the wild plains of Africa, you know, and all of a sudden you see two animals, you know, one mounting up on the other one, just getting after it. And me and Nancy are feeling awkward. You know, the kids are young and we're like, oh, should we fast forward? Like, what do we do? And we kind of just let that like just let it flow no kids were nobody was like what are they doing you know i don't know what i would have said at the time i probably like oh they're wrestling you know but um in hindsight now i feel like those types of moments when a kid might naturally ask or see you know i'm not sure that kids watch animals uh mating (laughs) all that often but all that is to say i believe i'm in the school of thought now that the more openly we talk about sex, the more openly we, that we talk about how it works, obviously within a reasonable level of detail, we're not going to be overly graphic about it. But, um, and the younger we start that, the better it is, the more it sets the stage and the table for an openness for our children to be willing to come to us and ask questions. I think if we 
sweep it under the rug and hide in it and act like it's awkward and act like we don't know how to talk about it, then that just, we're modeling to our children to be awkward about it. Right. No, that's, that's exactly right. And, and I think this brings up a good point that I sort of want to hammer right at the outset. And I think it's maybe obvious and yet it, it needs to be emphasized and and you guys know me if you've li- listened to any episodes i'm very sort of ordered in my thinking i always have my three points or four points or five points i sort of have five main points that i want to talk about when it comes to having the conversation with our kids uh but the first one is that it is our job as fathers to be the one to have the conversation with our yeah. sons that's right not the school that's right although they may learn it in school not music not right. the church even, not television, not popular culture. It's our job. And I think I think it's one of the very few areas that I can point to and think about that is a distinctly dad's job, right? There's, there's a blurring in a lot of areas, right? I think we're very clearly called to be the spiritual head of the household. But beyond that, like I do a lot of cooking and cleaning, like my wife makes money, you know, I, I'm not the only provider. So it's like, there are a lot of areas that, oh, it's the man's job. Well, is it really the man's job? Like the woman could also do that. But but I think this is an area where it is distinctly and clearly our job for our sons. I don't know if you agree, Perry, that that the moms should be the one to have the conversation with daughters. But, I do. But we need to have the conversation with our sons and not delegate it. And you are by definition delegating it if you are not having the conversation because somebody is. And I think that's the whole point, right? They are going to start to be exposed to these ideas and concepts, as you suggested, Perry, earlier than we realize. Oh, yeah. I remember Jackson. And so I didn't have the conversation with Jackson until before his sixth grade year. And I'll sort of tell you maybe a little bit about why. And that might have been a little bit too old because I remember when he was about 10, so maybe still in fourth or fifth grade, he came to me and asked me what the word cum, C-U-M, meant. Yeah. At first, I didn't understand what he was asking. Then I was like, oh, he's asking that. I was like, where did you hear that? Well, a friend at school. was. So people at school are starting to, even if they don't know what these terms mean, they're hearing them. Maybe maybe somebody in their family is saying these words and, and we're trying to shelter our kids and keep them innocent as long as they can. But that's not happening in all families. And kids are listening to, to music that's talking about these things. And so they're being exposed earlier and earlier. And Again, not necessarily to kind of go down this rabbit hole on this particular conversation, but you know, thinking about the the joke that you sort of of led with, I was reading the other day about a school district in California where the parents had to really go before the school board and, and really petition, not petition, but like protest because a third grade teacher in the Glendale School District showed her class videos of the gay pride parade with nudity and discussions of sexual arousal. This is third grade that this is happening. Wow. And you might be saying, oh, well, that's California, of course, blah, that's not happening here. Are you sure? Like, so are you sure your kids are not being exposed to this? And so I think think my big take-home point is, I agree with you, Perry, that it probably needs to be earlier, maybe even than I did it with Jackson, because they are starting to be exposed younger and younger. And it is our job. That's right. Not to delegate it, even implicitly or, or you know, 
by not having the conversation, somebody is starting to get that message. It's our job to sort of be the first mover, so to speak. Yeah, we need to be proactive because if you just sit back because you're awkward or you're unsure or you don't know how to do that and you sit back and you don't take action, someone else is taking action in the life of your child, in the life of your child, your son, your daughter to talk to them about what sex is. And most likely, I would say 99.9999999% you could say that they're not going to teach about sexuality and sex in the way that you want your child to learn about it. That's right. And but that from God's perspective, from God's framework, right? And we want to be the one to begin to to educate our children on the right way of thinking about sexuality. And what is that message? So we'll, we'll circle back to that. Let me actually ask you, do you remember getting the talk from your own dad? Did he have that talk with you? What do you remember about your own experience learning about sex? Sure. So for me, I do not remember that talk coming from my dad. Now, does that mean it didn't happen? Not necessarily, right? I'm a you know 43-year-old ex-pot smoker. So there's plenty of things that uh, you know are probably gone from my memory <laughs> that happened in my life, right? So I don't have a memory of that. Uh, but maybe he did sit down with me one day at a young age and say, hey, son, let me talk to you about this. Uh, but I certainly don't remember that. I think I would remember it. But, you know, again, I'm not going to uh, put all my all my bets on that reality. Um, but for me, you know, I don't remember it as a young age. There are a few things that I do remember about sex education. One of them was in I remember sitting in PE class as a high school freshman. And, you know, the PE coach pulling out a banana <laughs> and a condom and teaching everybody how to put a condom on a banana in front of the whole class. And, you know, all the all the freshmen are, you know, like everybody's like awkward and giggly and pointing and laughing and, you know, all that. So in terms of my sexual education, that's one thing that stands out in my memory. And that is basically uh, a how-to tutorial on applying a condom. I mean, that's not what we want to teach our, you know, children about sex, our, our, our sons, you know, growing from manhood into boyhood. We don't, that's not the objective It's just to teach them how to put a condom on. No. Um, and then, you know, I think probably just culture, you know, uh, just, you know, watching a lot of MTV movies, culture, you know, what you, whatever you see in a movie, a, a sex scene is going to happen and then it flashes out. Um, I, I wasn't exposed, you know, dramatically to pornography or anything like that until later in life. Um, actually, it was probably I was not old enough to drive a car yet when I was handed a first my first Playboy that somebody showed me. You know, I was not old, yeah not, not old enough to drive a car, and I was over at my friend's house, and he says, "Hey, man, check this out." Shows me a magazine. So that was probably late middle school years, or, or you know, maybe also my freshman year of high school, and so obviously. Um, you know, now in today's world, compared to when you and I were coming up, the difference between accessibility to, you know, a Playboy or a Hustler magazine of that time compared to the internet access now is vast and extreme, the differences there. Um, so <clears throat> I would say that, you know, we talked a few episodes ago, what are we trying to improve on? 
And I, I said everything, you know, I want to do everything better uh, than I experienced as a boy growing up. And that's not to say I'm not saying that because I think my father did a bad job. I'm saying that because I'm just that type of guy that always is looking for ways to improve. Right. Um, and so for me, that was my experience. I didn't have a big sit down talk with with my dad. Um, and, and I was just, you know, exposed to sexuality through the culture, um, through pornographic magazines and through a sex ed, you know, class in PE. Uh, what about for you? I know, I know your dad was very involved in your life and, but you did say, I remember that he didn't necessarily initiate you in some areas that as you look back now, you wished he would have. Um, how about the sex talk? Was this an area that he was proactive in initiation? He was proactive in that he did have it with me. So I distinctly remember him taking me to a pizza restaurant and sitting me down and we like talked about it. Um, yeah. So it was, it was an event. And, you know, thinking yes. back on it, I'm sure he probably had to work himself up to do it. He was probably nervous driving me over to the pizza place because it didn't happen naturally or organically or me asking questions. And he's like, oh, now's a good time just to sort of talk to, to Brett about this. It was an event. But I think looking back on it, the more important realization from the experience was that I don't remember a single thing he said. Huh. I don't remember anything and I don't feel like I learned about sex from my dad, even though I know he had the talk with me. Sure. Does it make sense? Because it was, at least as I reflect on it, a one-time thing that was never then discussed ever again. So, and again, I'm not, it's not right or wrong, not not blaming him, don't know what he could or should have done differently, although I have some thoughts on it. And so this is sort of my my point number two is I'm thinking about how to do differently, how to be different in terms of having the conversation with my own kids is, and you alluded to this earlier, that it shouldn't be a one-time thing, but it's important that when we have that first conversation with our kids, it is done in a way where they feel comfortable continuing to have the conversation with us. Right. And I think the way that happens is that we need to be as open and truthful as we possibly can. Because if our kids know that, first of all, we're willing to talk about it, that it's not weird for us, and that we are willing to tell them the truth, right. then they are going to be willing to continue to come back to us to ask those questions. Yeah, because if they think we're just BSing them, right, they're smart. They're going to be like, oh, dad's just BSing me. He's just telling me what he's supposed to say, but how am I going to get the real truth? I'm going to go ask my friend. That's exactly right. They are going to seek out the answers somewhere, and we want them to seek those answers out from us. And I will say that that has happened so far with me and Jackson, and I'm very encouraged by that and pleased with that. I Maybe we can transition a little bit, you know, to then, okay, how was your conversation with JP and now Liam? For me, it totally happened organically last summer with Jackson. We were in the ocean. It was just the two of us. Usually Ben's out there with us or the whole family's out there in the ocean. It was just me and Jackson and he sort of followed back up and started asking me some questions. You know, I mentioned that he had asked me what the what the word C-U-M meant. And, and at the time he asked me that, I did push that off. I wasn't ready to answer that in a way that, because you sort of have to explain a lot to get to the then the yeah. answer of what that is. Yeah. And I wasn't ready to go all in at that point. I didn't think it was appropriate. I didn't think he was mature enough. I didn't think we were ready for that. And so we just didn't have that conversation. 
Um, and I don't know if I handled that right or wrong by pushing it off because I'm sure that sat with him and he didn't understand why I wouldn't answer it. And he wanted to know the answer. And it was probably like a year before we actually then finally answered it. So I don't know whether that was right or wrong, but it came up organically and we literally were bobbing in the waves for like an hour. And I just, yeah. I just laid it all out there and I told him truth yeah. and I didn't hold yeah. back. And every question he asked, I answered and, and he, he was, he was sort of blown away. Like he was, he was, it was like the most incredible thing he'd ever heard. He'd, you know, whatever it was, it was interesting, but he has come back to me at least three or four times since then with additional questions and follow-up questions. And we'll be driving back from basketball practice and he'll ask me a question. And I love the fact that we're having those conversations because it means he feels comfortable and it's because he knows I will tell him the truth and he'll even say, I heard this at school. Is that right? Or whatever. So he, he feels like he has a resource to come to for truth because projecting ahead, I also want him to ask me about dating and, and other things like that. I never asked my dad about dating. I never, you know, how do I talk to girls? How do I, how do I do any of this stuff? I felt like I was very much alone trying to figure that stuff out myself. I don't want Jackson or any of my kids to feel like they're alone. And I feel like that stage is set with that initial sex talk. And on the one hand, maybe that puts a little pressure on that initial talk. But I think, I think if you're just natural about it, not weird about it, just have a conversation about it, be truthful about it, your kids will then feel comfortable continuing to talk to you about these important things as they grow up into their later teenage years and beyond. Sure. And and to anybody out there who's maybe had a one-time event sex talk with their kid and it was a train wreck, big dumpster fire, it was awful, awkward, uh, didn't end, you know, there was just no closure, there was no more questions. It was like, oh my gosh, how can we make this stop as soon as possible? <laughs> cool. Round one was a failure, right? Failures are great. Failures are how we learn. It's how we grow. It's how we improve, right? Um, I mean, to be frank, that's how it happens in sex. Sometimes you mess things up before you get it right, you know? <laughs> uh, so, you know, I-, I think there's hope. If you're, if you're a, a dad listening to this and you're sitting there going, oh man, I really botched that sex talk. It was awful. So what? Try again. You know, uh, don't quit until you get it right and just keep having that conversation. And sure, it might be a little bit of an uphill climb at this point. Um, or if you're somebody who's waited a long time, you're feeling like, oh man, I missed the window. No, you didn't. You have not missed the window. It's not too late. You know, your kid might be 14, 15, whatever. It doesn't matter. 16, have that talk. Hey, you know, bring it up. Like, hey, man, I, Gosh, I'm so sorry. I, I never talked to you this. I talked to you about this before. I didn't, honestly, I didn't really know how to talk to you about it. So we're just going to try now. I know you already know a lot of these things. I know you probably already heard a lot of this stuff from your friends at school, or maybe you've even had sex. You know what I mean? So it's never too late to have that talk with your kids. If you botched it the first time, or you've never had it, and they seem way too old, not a big deal. You know, God's the great redeemer, and they will so, they will be listening. They might roll their eyes. They might be like, Dad, I know it all but they want to hear what you have to say. Yes. Yeah, that's so true. That's, that's so true. Such a good point. And um, I think for me, you know, Nancy and I realized that in our brains, the sex talk was a single event with a kid who's 13, you know, 14 years old. And then over time, we've learned at least our approach is it needs to be an ongoing, continuous conversation with kids that, 
you know, we started talking about sex in front of and with Ruby in a group setting with our whole family, even, you know, when she's six, five, six, seven years old, because we realized, oh, we need to, we need to start talking about this some so that it's not this big, awkward, you know, moment. Yeah. And let me just interject real quick there. And maybe this is sort of a third point. I don't, I don't know where I am with my points here. (laughs) So I'm just going to, but, but it is, it is the case that I feel like in America, we are a very prudish country compared to a lot of countries in the rest of the world. And I think that that swings the pendulum so far in one direction that again, it almost makes our kids want to rebel the other direction. I remember going uh, on a trip to Europe when I was maybe a freshman or sophomore in high school. And it was my first time over in Europe, France specifically. And you might be thinking, oh, well, France is, France is way too far on the other end of the spectrum. Fine, maybe. But I remember literally just watching French TV and like a shampoo or a soap commercial comes on. And the women on the commercial are naked, literally like just washing themselves, bathing themselves. So that's what the kids are seeing. We edit all that stuff out. We have only from the shoulders up, you know, on, on all those types of things. And you might, well, well, good. We don't want pornography on the television. Okay, fine. But I'm just telling you that if that's the culture they come come up in, which is what our kids are growing up in, that's sort of the mindset. And and the reality is. Sex is the most natural thing in the world. It's a beautiful thing. It's we are sexual beings. Literally, what do we need for life? We need air, we need yep. food and water, we need shelter, and we need sex. Adam yep. and Eve were naked in the garden. Like it's, we use it for procreation. It, it's it's a fun and enjoyable experience. It's a pleasurable experience. It's it should be more natural than we make it out to be. And so right. I love the fact that you as a family were just sort of talking about it and not filtering it when you're six-year-old sort of listening. And she doesn't have necessarily the frame of reference to even understand what you're talking about. But man, it would be weird to then say, hey, Ruby, you need to leave the room because we're going to talk about adult things and grown-up things. And there's maybe a time and place for that for certain topics. but, But sex should be, I think, quite a bit more natural than we make it out to be. And I think that helps then our kid. Not that we want our kids to think it is okay to be casual with sex. Those are two totally different things, right? We're going to talk a little bit here about what is the message and what, what would, should we be emphasizing? But for me, you know, it's very much a distinction between, okay, sex is a natural thing. Here's what God intended sex to be. Don't be weird about it, but it's also a sacred thing. It's an important thing. It's something that takes seriously. We're not going to be casual with it, but it's natural. It's normal. Yeah, for sure. And I think as we talk about it in our experience with our family, we're laying the foundation to be open and honest about sexuality. We're laying the foundation for the kids to feel comfortable asking these questions. We still have the individual one-on-one conversations, which would go to a deeper level and would be age appropriate, right? The conversation I'm going to have with my 14-year-old, my 15-year-old is going to be different than the conversation that I have with my nine-year-old. But because we've opened the floor and said, okay, this is a a fine and natural thing to just talk about, it sets the tone for that. Um, And and yeah, like you said, you know, everybody's explanation of 
what that sex talk is going to be like might be different. For me, you know, I look at it from the biblical perspective that sex is to be, is designed by God to be between a man and a woman who are married and they are having sex with each other only. So that's what we are teaching our children. And I have found that even before we've talked about the details of sex, you know, a penis goes into a vagina. We've talked about the idea and the framework of sex is between a husband and a wife. It's a special thing that they share with each other. They don't share it with anybody else. You know, they wait until they get married. You know, we've, we've talked about these things. And I have, I don't remember where I got it from, if it was the Holy Spirit that just put this idea in my head or I learned it from a book or what, I'm not sure. But the analogy that we've used with our kids from a very young age, we are an outdoorsy family. We also heat with wood in our home often in the winter times. And so I use a fire as an analogy when I'm talking about God's plan for sex and marriage. And I tell our kids, hey, look at, look at this, you know, we'll build a fire in the fireplace or in the wood stove, or we'll be out camping and sleeping out, you know, in tents and all that. We'll build a fire. We'll talk about a fire. And I'll just kind of casually say, you know, kids, um, sex and fire are, they really have a lot of things in common. And I, I want to let y'all know, like, look how beautiful this fire is. We get so much enjoyment from it. It's pleasurable. It's wonderful to experience. You know, we're getting all this benefits from the beauty and the awesomeness of this fire. Like, look how powerful this fire is. It does so, you know, it's so great. Imagine, and I think one time I even went so far as to pull out some kindling, some fire, starter some you know matches all the things and set it in the floor of the living room hmm. and i called one of the i called kids over kids come look at this let's should we build a fire right here in the living room what no that's crazy that would be horrible well fire's good fire's awesome can't we just build a fire wherever and whenever we want well no we can't and so repeatedly over time uh we've used that analogy and that tangible understanding of if I build a fire in the living room next to the wall, the whole house is going to catch on fire and burn down. You know, tragically bad things are going to happen if if we take what's beautiful in a fire and use it outside of the context and the parameters of, of what's designed to keep it contained. Yeah. And I I think that my kids have really grasped a hold of that because it's a very, you know, sex to a kid who's never had sex before is this foreign mystery. But a kid who sat by a fire and felt the warmth of it, it's tangible. They understand, right? And so, I don't know, for me, we've we've kind of always used that. Um, have y'all ever done any kind of analogies or anything like that to... I. I like that analogy, uh, and what I really like about that analogy is it speaks to the fact that there is there is pleasure and there is purpose. Yeah, and I think both elements are crucial to what what sex is, and uh, and that's something that I've been trying to to get across to Jackson, and it's uh, and he doesn't understand this aspect of it. I'll circle back to that in a moment. I think about misconceptions I have about sex because of either how I was or wasn't taught about it correctly. I grew up really essentially believing sex was only for reproduction. And and I think 
you know, I'm not quite sure where I got that idea. Maybe it was sort of growing up in the church or, or whatever, but, um, but I never understood that God actually purposed it to be an enjoyable part of the human existence. There's a, a, a famous quote by Billy Graham, and he said, sex is the most wonderful thing on this earth as long as God is in it. When the devil gets in it, it's the most terrible thing on this earth. But the point is, if done right, it is something to be enjoyed. It builds intimacy between two people. It can be for fun and reproduction. And, right. and so back to your fire analogy, there is, ple- there is purpose and pleasure, and there is a time and place for it. There's a place where it is right, and then there's a place, your living room, where it is wrong. So I love that. Um, no, I, I haven't necessarily come up with any analogies. I will say it was somewhat easy for me to explain some things uh, because our kids grow up on a farm and they have seen yeah. uh, a, a rooster attacking one of the hens. You know, So w- it w- when, when, they, when they see it, all they see are, the chickens are fighting. How come the rooster is so mean? And I'm thinking to myself, well, the rooster is not necessarily mean, although... The hen isn't exactly willing. <laughs> it's not exactly. Well, if you've seen it, the rooster looks mean. <laughs> the, the, roo- the rooster looks mean, and the rooster is going to take what the rooster wants. So uh, the analogy is only appropriate so far. But it was a natural way to say, "Hey, Jackson, remember how um, you know we say that uh, you know you're not just magically going to get baby chicks if you let these eggs sit around a while. You need a rooster if these are going to turn into baby chicks, and you didn't understand why." Yeah, let me let me tell you why. Why is the rooster important? And so, yeah. um, I don't know if that's an analogy, but it's certainly something that I have used for context that my son understand. Well, he didn't understand why at the time, but now it all makes sense to him, and he can see the parallel then to human reproduction and sure. sort of the the mechanics of sex and so forth. Sure. And I think that's important to explain a base level. You know, when they're really young, you can just say that blanket statement, things like, well, you can, you're not just going to magically have chicks, you need a rooster. And that's, that's the, the depth of understanding. That's the depth of explanation at that younger age, you know, and that's what I'm talking about. We're not, we're not having explicit explained sex conversations with our six-year-old, but, you know, we're, we, we are laying that foundation and kind of like layers, peeling back the layers of an onion. We give them a little bit in the beginning, a little bit more as they get older, more and more and more and more and more depth of understanding. Um, and I think that's an important thing to do, you know. And you, it's there's discernment involved if you give them this this initial first layer of explanation, and they and they go, well, what what? Let me let me understand that more. Maybe that's a time to go deeper. And maybe it's a time to take the action of putting that conversation off. And that's where you need to know your own kids, know their maturity level, whether they're ready or not ready. Uh, Benjamin, just just yesterday, or maybe it was two days ago, our kids are asking a lot about traits because um, we've talked about you know, who do you get your eye color from? My kids are very interested in, are they going to be tall? You know, they, they want to be NBA basketball players and are they going to be yeah. tall? And and we've sort of mentioned that their biological father was not all that tall. And Ben was like, the other day, Ben said, um, I understand why the mom is important in terms of my traits because, you know, I grow in my mom's belly, but why is the dad's traits important? You know, and, right. 
and the doors, and it wasn't the right time. Jack, sure. my, my three-year-old was hanging around. I couldn't just dive into the sex talk in that moment. And so I kind of deflected that, but I'm like, okay, is, is Ben really ready? I wasn't really thinking I was ready to have the conversation with him yet, but maybe it is time he's asking these questions. And so, yep. but you got to kind of know your kid and when to deflect and when to just to dive yeah. in and actually give them those answers, you know? Sure. And another thing that we've done, and we haven't, I haven't said this with all of our kids, but um, I have had this talk with JP. I'm getting ready to have it with Liam, but it's the number three talk. And, you know, that goes to, you know, answering the question, you know, that you had from Jackson, what is come C-U-M. I said to JP, hey, you know how we talk about going to the bathroom? There's like, you're going to go number one, or you're going to go number two. Well, let me tell you, bud, there's actually a number three that might not have shown up yet in your body, but this is what it's like, and this is what it's for, and this is what it does, and it's a whole different fluid that comes out of your body. It's a number three. And so I just, because so many kids are used to saying, I'm going number one, I'm going number two, I just kind of played into that and go, well, guess what? There's a number three. You might not have known that yet. Yeah, that's good. Um, and yeah, and so that was kind of my easy road into uh, explaining, you know, semen to a kid by just using a number three and then later going into the full idea of sperm egg makes a baby, you know, all that kind of stuff. Cool. Uh, let me just circle back real quick. And I think, I think it's probably about time to maybe wrap, wrap some of this up, um, in terms of this conversation, but I wanted to build on what you were talking about earlier. You were talking about, what sort of the priorities are for you and your family and how the message that you're wanting to get across to your kids. And I would just say that's sort of another point I would have is as you're listening to this, you have your own beliefs about sex, the own thing, the things that you want to get across that are going to be important for you to get across to your own kids. And I would say just take some time to actually pre-formulate what those are because whenever you initiate that conversation and even if you just let it happen organically and all of a sudden you find yourself in that conversation, if you haven't really gotten clear in your own mind about what is important, how you're going to emphasize those points without being so rigid, like absolutely you cannot have sex until you're married. Well, well, why? Where does that come from? And is that going to go over well? And is that going to be received well? And is your son going to push back against that? And it's okay to believe that and think that, but how are you going to present it in a way that makes sense? And all of those types of things. I guess my point is you just need to pre-think some of this stuff in advance. And for those of you who may sort of have beliefs, I think, that maybe are in a little bit more in line with with Perry and myself, something that I talked to Jackson about and sort of the the way that I'm I'm helping to explain the crucial sacred aspect of sex to my kids I just wanted to share in case it's helpful because again I think that's the whole point is sometimes we know we we don't know what to say we don't know how to say it and so we're just trying to to help you hopefully this is helpful I think Perry's analogies have been helpful but I I just I just talked to Jackson about the fact that we are a tripart being we are yeah. physical emotional and spiritual Yes. And, and he understands that. And I think whether you're religious or not religious, whether you even believe in God, I mean, it is so blatantly obvious that we're more than just physical beings. We have spirit, we have soul, we have emotion, and you cannot separate those things. 
And I just told Jackson, there is no such thing as a purely physical act. There is no way to have sex without it also affecting your emotions and your spirit. And every time you do that, you are giving away part of yourself. And it is crucially important that when you decide to give away part of yourself, that it is to somebody who deserves it, can handle it, and hopefully to somebody who will receive that gift for the rest of her life. Because if you don't wait until it's that spouse, okay, fine. I mean, we've all, you know, I think most of us listening may have had sex before marriage. And if that's the case, you know, it's like, okay, there's healing to do there and there's there's separate things. But we know that when we go into the marriage relationship, then there's a piece of us missing. And there just is. There's something that has been given to somebody else that can never be given to our wife. And, and that's a hard thing. And, and I just tried to explain to Jackson that you're going to be making your own decisions in life. When emotions do get involved, it can be hard to say no um, and so forth. But here's why it's important. And it's to understand the gravity of the decision to have sex because it can never just be purely for fun, purely physical. There are always consequences positive or negative to having sex. You, you could get a girl pregnant. You could get ST. Like there are physical consequences, but there are also emotional consequences. And so we just talked about that a little bit. And I, I'm not sure at age 12, he totally understood that. It right. might've gone in one ear and out the other, but at least the foundation has been laid to where he has at least been told that it is a consideration. And so I just wanted to share that with you guys listening. If that is an important conversation for you to have with your kids, that's a little bit about how I've had that conversation and how I've talked about it a little bit to this point. Yeah, for sure. I love that. And, you know, like the theme of, of the show is continuous conversation, you know? And so he might not have grasped all that right away, but you've started that groundwork. You've started the foundation. You've started that so that you can come back to it repeatedly over and over and over again. Maybe on the third iteration, maybe on the 25th iteration, it sinks in and it, it grasps it, you know. But I want to just encourage the listeners to, regardless of your own sexual past, you know, you you talked about it then. Maybe some of us, you know listening have have had sex before marriage. Maybe we have this big conviction that God's plan for sex is within the confines of marriage only, right? But we're humans. We're not perfect. We can't, no one can live up to God's standard. And so have some grace with yourself. And at the same time, I want to encourage everybody not to project an idea that it's impossible to wait until you get married on your kids. Good point just because you didn't wait until you got married, right? It's still possible. It is possible in today's world for a man and a woman to wait to have sex until they get married. It is possible for someone to go through life and only have one sexual partner. That seems crazy to say in today's um, social and whatever environment, but it's possible. So I just wanted to, you know, as you were talking about that, I just wanted to put that out there to the listeners. Don't paint yourself in a corner in the sex talk and don't box God out of the equation by saying, well, we're supposed to wait until we get married. But I mean, who really can do that? Don't box God out of the equation. 
because it is possible. And uh, I'm, I'm living proof of that. My wife and I, neither one of us had sex with anybody else. Neither We didn't have sex with each other before we got married. We came close a couple times. And maybe that's another topic for another podcast is how to set up a framework where even if you're with the person that you're getting ready to marry, set up some parameters and boundaries that doesn't put you in a situation. Um, but, and it's not through Perry Hughes being awesome. It's through God's grace, you know, uh, but I'm living proof that it's possible. And so I just want to encourage folks, you know, don't let your own failures or your own past or your own regrets create a reality in your son's mind that's inaccurate. And the reality is with God's help, with God's protection and with intentional fathering and with a commitment from your sons, your son, your daughter, it is possible to live in that area and wait to be having sex until they're married. So that's just my little word of encouragement as we kind of wrap things up, you know, is to, is to don't, don't eliminate that as a possibility mentally, you know, obviously don't, we don't want to uh, browbeat or, you know, Bible thump or create guilt, you know, in anybody's mind. We, you know, God's the great redeemer. Is it possible to live a completely sexually pure life? No. Jesus clearly said, if you look at a woman lustfully with your eyes, you've committed adultery in your heart, right? So I wasn't, I didn't, you know, there was, I certainly lusted after plenty of women and, you know, before getting married. So I wasn't pure in terms of God's standards, but physically waited to have sex until I got married, right? So we can, we can set that intention with our sons, even if it isn't something that we lived our, we lived out our own selves. It's like that genera- generational change, you know, uh, the next generation can, can be the one that stops that cycle. That's exactly right. And, and that's what I'm talking about when I say pre-think your message and, and we have an opportunity when our kids are 10, 11, 12 years old and still listen to us and still want to hear what we have to say to paint the ideal. It's our job as fathers to paint that ideal and it's between them and God, whether they end up living up to the ideal and, we, and, and so forth. They, they're, they're their own people. They're walking their own journey, but it is possible. And I'll actually put in the show notes, I have a good buddy um, named Jordan who actually wrote a book called The Red Key Revolution. Uh, he was able to stay pure himself. And, and the idea is to be able to give your wife a red key on, on your wedding night to say, this is for you. This is my gift to you. This is, I have kept myself pure for you. And uh, and again, that may sound so weird and foreign to some of you guys listening to this, but but again, if that's the ideal and, and you want to try to live up to that and your kids want to try to live up to that, it's a really good resource about how to do that. And so it's a, it's a good book. It's a good read. Um, he's an interesting guy with an interesting story. And uh, so I'll kind of share that in the show notes below. So with that, uh, that is our talk about the sex talk. And uh, there's more to unpack probably. I'm sure we can reference some of this stuff in future episodes. As always, if you guys have any questions, reach out to us, social media, faithfulfatherhood2015 at gmail.com. Perry, any final thoughts before? I feel like you sort of gave a good good final thought, but uh, any closing remarks before we wrap this up? Sure. Yes. Again, I just want to honor the listeners for joining us today and say, hey, guys, thanks for being on this journey of striving towards being the best father you can be. 
uh, we we count it as you know a privilege and an honor to to sit down and talk through these things and for you to come along this journey with us. I know it's certainly what Brett and I are trying to do with our lives every day is to be the best dad we can be, um, among other things. But thanks for spending your time with us. It's valuable. Thanks for striving to be, you know, an amazing father and, you know, keep your head up, keep up the good fight, keep leaning into the Lord. If you're at a loss, pray, you know, and one thing too, I wanted to mention, um, is that, you know, I know Brett, you said earlier, it's, it's kind of awkward in terms of the sex talk to talk to your buddies and go, Hey, have you had this talk with your kids? But I would encourage everybody to do that. You know, I try to talk to my buddies and my friends and say, hey, are you talking to your kids about sex? Especially, you know, the ones that have younger kids than me, older kids than me. Um, you know, even if it feels a little awkward, just ask some of your friends, hey, what are you doing about this? Because I think that through, you know, different ideas, different collaborations, also just the act of having that conversation with your friends is going to help it become less stressful, less awkward, less whatever, you know, and they might even have some funny stories to tell you about mishaps or, you know, whatever, you know, lighten the mood a little bit. But uh, yeah, that's my encouragement, you know, pray um, and, and talk to your buddies and see what they're doing too. So thanks for listening. As always, we're humbled and honored by your, your presence and joining us in these podcasts. That's it for Perry. I am Brett Etheridge. We look forward to talking with you again next time on the Faithful Fatherhood Podcast. Take care, everyone. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying.